Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Dr. Benjamin Williams. The last, the last few weeks I've been preaching some, what for many of you may have been rather hard sermons. And I know that and I appreciate your patience and your, your bearing with me your readiness to listen and to think and to pray about what I've shared. And I'm giving you a break for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> so you can... get a break for the next couple of weeks. We'll get back into some of the hard things in, in probably like three weeks or something, three, four weeks. And uh, as we work through... The, the past, dealing with the past, and getting some answers, and some of the answers we'll like, some of them we won't, some we'll agree with, some we, won't, we might not agree with, but we'll start at least get, being able to talk about it and get some sort of closure. I mean, after all, it's hard to move into the promised land if you've got, if your shoelaces are still tied to... Uh, to your bedstead in Egypt, right? My sermon today is D, other. You remember multiple choice tests. Aren't you glad you don't have to, most of you don't have to take them anymore? There are worse. There are worse things. I, I thought that multiple choice tests, I always struggled with essay tests. Yep. <laughs> A kindred soul. But multiple choice, you have to pick out the right answer from three or four possibilities. I usually did pretty well if I had even just at least barely glanced at the material. I'd recognize at least one word. And I'd figure that's probably, that's probably it, even if I didn't really yet understand what the word or the concept meant, I could usually pick out the word that they were looking for. But every now and then, <coughs> they would have, there'd be a question that would have three possible answers, and then it would have, you know, D, other. You might say none of the above or something. But that D, other, meaning that if you recognize, even if you recognize some of the words, the right answer might not be there at all. America's fascinated with other right now. You know, we take it to mean someone or something that's outside the box, which is also admired as a good thing. You see it on all kinds of forms now. You know, ethnicity, Caucasian, black, Native American, Asian, other. I guess pretty soon you'll see sex, male, female, other. There's already folks fighting to get their driver's license gender changed to non-binary. I do not, personally, I do not consider this a brave step forward in Western culture. 
But no matter how strange they might be, all of our others are really just more of the same. They're all just variations on a human or a social or a cultural pattern. All of our thinking outside the box is really just thinking inside the box with a little something changed. I mean, it's like we take last year's fashion, we make it in some hideous color borrowed from the early 70s, and then we call it edgy. No, it's hideous. It's just ugly. It's not edgy. It's just ugly. Ultimately, there's nothing really other out there. There's only one who is genuinely outside the box, who is genuinely other, and that is God. Church folks say it and sing it all the time, and we just don't know it because we use a different word. We just sang it, holy, holy, holy. Now, if we were to take a street poll, I suspect most folks, even church folks, would either admit they had no idea what the word holy meant, or they would assume it has something to do with ethics, you know, being moral. That being holy means, well, they would probably say, A, very moral, you know, don't smoke, don't chew, don't spit on the rug, don't mess around with the other sex, and really don't mess around with the same sex. And all that other stuff the preacher wags his finger at you about. Or maybe B, being very reverent, you know, serious, humorless. I looked it up online and they suggested C, being morally and spiritually excellent. The truth, the right answer though is D, other. The Hebrew word holiness, the Hebrew word kodesh, comes from the same root as the proto-Akkadian chud. You knew that. Oh, that was in my crossword puzzle this morning in the paper. Last, something I, under, I knew here. Now, it comes from the Akkadian chud, which means to slice or to cut apart or to make separate from. It means something that is separate from the rest, that's separate from the human world, distinct and different, unlike everything known to man. Kodesh. It is the quintessential description of God. He is completely and wholly other. It's an extremely ancient word. In Hebrew, nouns usually derive from verbs. That is, 
first there's a verb. They come up with a verb to describe an action. And then based on the verb, they create nouns and then adjectives. Only the most ancient and original words evolve the other way around. I mean, just think in our own, in our own language. What are the most primitive words that we learn? Mama. Papa. I remember little, little Martin, child in Germany, and the, his parents were just hanging on that moment he would speak his first word, and they were take, sort of taking bets, not for money, but they were sort of taking bets, whether it was in the family, whether it was going to be mama or papa. And he finally, he looked and he, smi he smiled and he said, Otto, <laughs> which means automobile. <laughs> Auto, Otto. That was his first word. But those, there are things we start with a thing. Wawa, whatever. We start with a thing. And then we develop words, uh, verbs, and adjectives, and adverbs from that. Um, <clears throat> those are the ancient and original words. That's the most ancient part of a language, where the noun comes first, and then the other parts of speech follow. Holiness, Kodesh. Kodesh is one of those original and most ancient words where the noun came first, from which the adjective kadosh was later developed. Which means, in its origin and at its core, the original Hebrew dialect was rooted from the start in a primal awareness of the awesome mystery and utter otherworldliness of God. Hmm? Kodesh. Q-O-D-E-S-H. Okay? Kodesh. And the adjective is kadosh. with an A and an O, Kodesh. Kodesh, holiness, describes God and God alone in his uniqueness and his differentness from this world. Holy is everything and everybody that belongs to and pertains to God. Everything that's his. Which means, by the way, we cannot really compare God to anything in the world. We can't derive any real knowledge of God from our world or from our experience or the things we see. We can't learn anything that much from, about God from nature because he's other than indifferent from it. We just don't really have the words or the language to describe God. But I do want to say this. Kodesh 
is a positive term, not a negative one. It's a, you know, so many of our words about God are negative. You know, like immortal means not mortal. Uh, immovable, not movable. Immutable, meaning not changeable, and so on. So many of our words are negative words, but Kodesh is a positive word. So what it means, we really shouldn't say that in his holiness, God is different from the world, but rather that as if the world were the norm of all things, but rather that the world is utterly and woefully different from God. God is the standard and we're the thing that can't compare with him. Now you and I do not decide what or who is holy. God does. It's what is his, right? So God is, by definition, supremely holy, and he's other than the world, and God decides who and what else is holy and belongs to him. For example, God decides when he will appear, marking that time as holy. God decides where he will appear, marking that space as holy. And God decides to whom he will appear, marking that person as holy and set aside and his. Whenever, whatever, and whomever God touches belongs to him, suddenly it is of God and no longer of the world. Now what this means, that whenever God invades human experience, from the earliest time till now, whenever God invades human experience, whenever you become aware of the presence of God, holiness happens. God appears, God speaks, and you're changed, never to be the same again. When you're touched by his holiness, by his utter differentness from this world, you can never quite fit in anymore either. Turn with me, please, to the familiar story in Exodus chapter 3. We'll look at the verses 1 through 6. Exodus chapter 3. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. 
When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, come no closer. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Amen. In his groundbreaking study from 1926, The Idea of the Holy, Rudolf Otto compared this to the other times that God appeared in the Bible, and he found a consistent pattern. There are five qualities present whenever God reveals himself. And I think where you might look in your life and see that God has in some way revealed himself to you, you're going to identify with at least some, if not all, of these qualities. First, there is fascination. It's an almost irresistible attraction. Something is pulling you. There's something tugging. We talk about something tugging at your heartstrings, but it's more than that. It's just pulling you in, drawing you in. Now, it might be something strange, bright, wondrous. Moses sees the bush aflame but not consumed, and his curiosity gets the better of him. And he just has to go check it out. He's pulled in. And yet at the same time, whenever God appears, or when God speaks, The second thing that happens is there is dread. There is dread. God's presence is captivating, even mesmerizing, but at the same time it's unsettling, it's terrifying. Moses covers his face in fear. He covers his face, but he cannot run away. He's transfixed. He's unable to hide He can only hide his eyes. Abram is enveloped by a, we read in Genesis 15, a deep and terrifying darkness. Jacob awakes from his dream where he sees God in heaven and he can only tremble. How dreadful is this place? Seized by the gravity of the presence you feel an absolute awe and an inward shudder. There is a reason in the Bible whenever angels appear, you know the first thing they have to say? Don't be afraid. Why? Because your first reaction is to be afraid. Thirdly, there is a feeling or a sense of being overpowered, of being overwhelmed by the majesty and authority of God. 
you know you are standing in a mighty, overwhelming presence with power and with authority and danger. Protests are meaningless. Resistance is useless. You are in his thrall and under his command. Period. And in contrast to his commanding might, you become acutely aware, on the other hand, forth of your own smallness and your weakness and your frailty. Your fragility, you are fragile, and you know you are defensive, and he is big, and I'm very small. He is everything, and I I realize I'm nothing. Abram grovels before God, I am but dust and ashes. Isaiah wails, Woe is me, I'm lost, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Moses, if we continued reading, we'd see how Moses, when he looks at himself, he can only see his own spiritual anemia. You know, his poor speaking skills, his fear, his stuttering, his cowardice. God, however, will not accept his excuses any more than he accepts any of mine. So, God, when God shows up, he has something for you to do. God never shows up just to show up. He never reveals himself in the Bible just because he felt like it or he was bored. He always has a purpose and a plan in the big picture, and he's pulling you in to be part of his big picture, and I'll tell you, you will never find a bigger picture than that that God has. So fifth, There is always an awareness of purposefulness, intentionality. God has a reason when he appears, when he reveals himself in majesty and power, whether it's going to be he wants to call a person to service or to give a promise or to make a covenant. He has a purpose and a plan. And whatever God purposes redirects you in life-changing ways. You can never... Just go back to herding sheep. You can't just act like it never happened. Amos could never go back to dressing trees. The lion has roared. Who will not fear, said Amos. The Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy? The holiness of the Lord, when he reveals himself, can only evoke awe, 
submission, obedience, and fear. The fear of the Lord. Now, we have softened this concept. We don't want our children to be afraid of God. So we have, taught, we have ta not taught our children to fear God, or rather we've taught our children not to fear God. We've told them it means to respect God. You know, we've said we should respect God like we respect our teachers and our police officers and our president. And now we see how far that has gotten us. In an age where teachers are cursed and abused in the classroom, where police officers are targeted and drive-by shootings, and the president, well, doesn't matter who's president, it's, it becomes a public policy to discredit and disrespect him, to make political points. So I'm not sure I would want my children to treat God like that. Just saying. So, what does it mean, the fear of the Lord? Well, we could say it means respect, but it means to respect God like a bomb squad respects an explosive device. It means it's like to respect the Lord like a nuclear engineer respects that white-hot nuclear core. If you treat it too casually, it could cost you dearly. So to be honest, when the Bible says, fear the Lord, it means, well, fear. Turn with me just a few chapters further in Exodus to chapter 19. Chapter 19, we'll start at verse 16. On the morning of the third day, this is in Exodus 19, on the morning of the third day there was thunder and lightning as well as thick cloud on the mountain and a blast of a trumpet so loud that all the people who were in the camp trembled. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. <clears throat> they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. The smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln, while the whole mountain shook violently. <clears throat> As the blast of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses would speak and God would answer him in thunder. And when the Lord descended upon Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, the Lord summoned Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And then the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people not to break through to the Lord to look. Otherwise, many of them will perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. If we jump down to chapter 20, it'll resume in verse 18. When the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, 
They were afraid and trembled and stood at a distance and said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Yeah, right, Moses. Do not be afraid, for God has come only to test you and to put the fear of him upon you so that you do not sin. And then the people stood at a distance while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. May God bless to us his word. This is the holiness, the differentness of God in a picture. Flash of fire, rumble of thunder, volley of trumpet, a violent thunderstorm, a a raging battle, an exploding volcano all rolled into one, but raised to another level where it ceased to be anything like this world knows. He comes with purpose to make his covenant with Israel and to speak with men, but he is revealed in awe-inspiring, gut-stunning power. He is, in a word, dangerous. He's dangerous. Gaze too long, you go blind. Stand too close, you're incinerated. You do not mess with this God. He's a force beyond anything you have ever reckoned with. We've lost the sense of God's holiness. We have abandoned the fear of the Lord, preaching a gospel of the maudlin sweet love of God. You know, a God who sympathizes with our weakness to the point of saying they're there with no expectations and no standards. A God of love without covenant law, mercy without repentance, access without danger. It's not the God of the Bible, the God whose majesty gives you the shivers. We need to recover the God of power and danger. The God who is so far above and so different from this world that we cannot presume on our own to be able to do anything about him. The God we can only know when and where he chooses to reveal himself to us, to confront us, and to call us irresistibly into his service. Because you see, when we trivialize the holiness of God, hear me now, when we trivialize the holiness of God, we trivialize the price of the cross. Do you hear me? When we trivialize the holiness of God, we are trivializing as well the price of the cross. God is not our friend and cosmic buddy. Certainly not without the wrenching of the very foundations of the universe as heaven bends down to this renegade earth. Not without the unthinkable squeezing of eternity itself into a helpless and fragile infant. Not without the unimaginable cruelty 
of betrayal and abandonment and injustice and condemnation and torture and pain and asphyxiation on a cross. St. Paul says of Jesus, through him we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. Access. Do you hear the wonder in that word? Access. You could never approach a holy God unless God wanted to be approached. Never have access if God himself had not made a way. There's a chasm between you and God and the and its name is holiness. We always want to say that chasm is our sin. As if we create the problem. The problem is that yes we are sinful. But it's also the very nature of God that he is holy and separate. The chasm is the holiness of God that we can never ever ever bridge on our own. And there is only one bridge. It's a very slender bridge. And it's the cross of Jesus Christ. And know this, the deeper and deadlier that chasm, the more precious the bridge. God himself has made a way where there was no way. He constructed a bridge we could never build on our own. We rejoice in this access, says Paul. And though we still tremble in trepidation at the unseeable glory and consuming fire of Almighty God, we rejoice in the undeserved mercy of God, accessed for us by God himself through the Son, Jesus Christ. The one does not nullify the other. The mercy and the nearness of God in Christ does not erase or compromise the terrible and unimaginable holiness of God. Rather, by taking our sin and its consequences on himself and putting it to death on the cross, Christ has done the opposite. He has drawn us, you and me, into the holiness of God. You belong to him now. And just as God is not of this world, you are no longer of this world either. Live that way. The last time the Bible reflects on the awesome revelation of God's holiness on Sinai, it's a very different picture. Turn with me. Yes, this is, I'm at the close. So turn with me to this scripture in Hebrews chapter 12. We'll start at verse 18. Here we read, You have not come to something that can be touched, 
a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that not another word be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even an animal touches the mountain, it shall be stoned to death. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse the one who is speaking, For if they did not escape when they refused the one who warned them on earth, how much less will we escape if we reject the one who warns from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he is promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of what is shaken, that is, created things, so that What cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us give thanks, by which we offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for indeed our God is a consuming fire. Give thanks with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. You have access to our mighty, dread-inspiring God across the chasm of holiness because Christ has made you holy, different and other from this fallen world, different than you were. And he has brought you over through the blood of his cross. And the more you reverence the holiness of God, the more you'll treasure the access through Christ. There are lots of tests in life. The world offers lots of answers. But you can be fairly certain that in life's biggest questions, the right answer is D, other every time. Let's pray. Lord, teach us how to reverence your holiness, your differentness, that you are so far above what we can imagine. Help us learn to fear you, to have, to sense that power and that purpose of yours to where we we recognize that dread, that tremble, that shudder, because yes, you're dangerous to this fragile little world. One slip and we're crushed. And then, Lord, accept our thanks For the love that would not leave us there, but would seek us out. And as you reveal yourself to us, ultimately through Jesus, 
and ultimately through Jesus on the cross and Jesus greeting us from the empty tomb. We have a new and living way into the most holy place of your presence, which we do not deserve and cannot earn, but can only receive with awe and with gratitude. And yes, with fear. We praise and honor you, most holy God, through Jesus Christ, your no less holy Son. Thank you for listening to the KPC Podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.